If I can invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verses 2 through 6 and verse 10. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the instruction before the assembly. This assembly was made up both of men and women, and anyone who could understand what they heard, facing the area in front of the water gate, he read it aloud. From early morning until the middle of the day, he read it in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And everyone listened attentively to the instruction scroll. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that had been made for this purpose. And standing beside him were Mathathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Mesesiah on his right side. While Pedadiah, Mishael, Mikajah, Hashem, Hashemabadah, Zechariah, and Melshalem stood on his left side. I just broke, anyway. Um, standing above all of the people, Ezra the scribe opened the scroll in the sight of all the people, and he opened it. All of the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all of the people answered, Amen, Amen, while raising their hands. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then verse 10. Go eat rich food and drink something sweet, he said to them, and send portions of this to any who have nothing ready. This is the day holy to our Lord. Don't be sad because the joy from the Lord is your strength. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. It's good to be here with you all this morning as we uh, take some time to continue our kind of summer sermon series where we're spending four weeks uh, looking at the parallels and drawing the parallels between um, seeing how, you know, things in culture can help us to connect to our faith and things that we see. And so this four weeks we've been looking at, or we will be looking at the, the Disney movie Moana and, and just seeing how it thinks us, helps us to think about gospel and in our faith. Uh, last week's message I spent a lot of time providing a quick overview of the movie and if you haven't seen it I encourage you to do so. Uh, we also spent some time looking at, at how Moana felt the call in her life to do something greater or to do something uh, which in the movie's case was to return uh, this little green stone called the heart of Tefiti uh, to this island and in the movie Moana uh, voices and wonders why was I the one that was chosen and so last week we kind of drew some parallels between Moana asking these questions and also thinking about um, in last week it was Moses when he went up and when he saw the burning bush there in the wilderness outside um, where he was keeping his father-in-law Jethro's flocks outside of Midian, uh, Moses was uh, called by God and Moses was like, why am I the one? I don't speak well, I don't talk well, I don't do anything. I'm not the one that should be doing this, but God told him you know, that you're the one and that because I am with you, you will be able to accomplish everything because it is, because it is not you it's me and so I will make everything that you do adequate because you trust me and friends I don't know about you but this is a teaching that I need to hear time and time again is that God takes the areas that you and I fall short God takes the inadequacies that we have God takes our shortcomings and he uses them to do and to accomplish his will sometimes with our help and sometimes when we're doing our best not to help him right But we remember that and we know that because each of us belong to him and because he's promised that to us. And so today we're going to be taking some time and taking the next step as as we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, which is another Old Testament book. We're going to watch a couple clips from the movie 
And it's because we're going to be talking about story. In Moana's story, her father keeps telling her he's the chief, and he keeps saying that, that um, we don't sail past the reef that's outside the island. So there's a large reef that surrounds the island that you know, protects the, the island from, from the waves and from everything else. It also keeps the fish in this large lagoon area. And he even says a song or sings a song where he says, Tradition is our mission. Which I don't know about you, but sometimes in the church that can get us into trouble. And the reason he says it is he's trying to get his daughter to see what she needs to be doing, which is to be on the island with her people. And so uh, she's to stop looking out across the ocean and she's to focus on what is happening right there. And so if you'll turn your attention to the screen, we're going to watch a short clip. Thanks, Moana. She's doing great. This suits you. Chief! There's something you need to see. Our traps in the East Lagoon, they're pulling up less and less fish. Then we'll rotate the fishing grounds. Uh, we have. There's no fish. Oh. Then we'll fish the far side of the island. We tried. The windward side? And the leeward side. The shallows, the channel. We've tried the whole lagoon. They're just gone. Well, have you tried using it I will talk to the council. I'm sure what we What if can... we fish beyond the reef? No one goes beyond the reef. I know, but if there are no fish in the lagoon... Moana, and there's a whole ocean... We have one rule. An old rule when there were fish. A rule that keeps us safe Dad, instead I... of endangering our people. So oh. you can run right back to the water. Every time I think you're past this. No one goes beyond the reef. Okay, so as Moana struggles with her call and her story she's hearing, um, later she takes out a boat that's a non-ocean bearing or fairing boat, and she tries to go past the waves, and it's tossed about, and it wrecks. And she's thrown into the water, and I mean, she hurts her foot and everything. But when she washes the sore, her grandmother finds her and asks her the question, Who are you meant to be? And so her grandmother takes her to this hidden cave where the boats of her people that are the ocean faring boats have been stored and sheltered. And so in this next clip, you're going to see how she realizes that the true history of her people is not what she's heard, but that the history of her people is something totally different. And her father's been telling her a different story, not because he wanted to hurt her, but he tells her a different story because he doesn't want her to get hurt. Bang the drum.
Voyagers. We were Voyagers! We were Voyagers! We were Voyagers! Why'd we stop? Maui. When he stole from the Mother Island, darkness fell. Teka awoke. Monsters lurked and boats stopped coming back. To protect our people, the ancient chiefs forbid voyaging. And now we have forgotten who we are. And the darkness has continued to spread. Chasing away our fish, draining the life from island after island. Our island. Right, so as you all have seen, um, as Moana learns the history of her people, she learns that you know, she's the one that's supposed to take the heart, but more importantly, she learns that um, the call that she's feeling and, and what she thinks has been the story of her people is not their story. It's a story of them being seafaring and going out beyond the reef and, and of, of being totally different than what she's heard. And so our scripture reading is, is kind of similar to this, if you think about it, is there's a very similar importance in the book of Nehemiah, on knowing one's story, knowing your history, knowing what's happening, and knowing on how we can act in that in faith. See, in Nehemiah, the people of Israel have to come to know their story. They've forgotten it. Many of them have been in Babylon, or the ones that have been left in Jerusalem are not the ones that would have remembered the story. And for some, they've been in Babylon since 587 B.C. If you remember with me in the Old Testament, um, the city of Jerusalem was under uh, siege from the Babylonians and finally fell to that siege in 587. As part of the conquering of Jerusalem, the Babylonians did a number of things. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the city's walls so that the city would no longer be fortified. It would no longer be secured. And then they took leading citizens and craftsmen and leaders, politically and religious, and they took them to Babylon. And in Babylon, they settled and they lived. And, you know, they had families and they did all the things that they did, but they just weren't able to do any of those things in Jerusalem. And so there was a man named Nehemiah who found himself in the capital city of Babylon and Nehemiah was given a job as the cupbearer for the king. The king's name was Artaxerxes, and so Nehemiah was the one who bore him the cup. He would have tasted the wine to make sure that it was not poisoned. And it's in Babylon that Nehemiah, someone comes, and, and he eventually begins to hear stories of the conditions of Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah is learning stories of how uh, raiders are coming from outside the city walls and they're going into the city and they're plundering and taking and then leaving. He hears stories of how there is a shortage of food and, and of how the people are, are suffering in this place. And so he hears of these awful conditions and his heart is touched deeply. And so he's heartbroken. And he's torn and he's affected. And so Nehemiah is unable to keep hidden his inner, you know, uh, feelings. And so as he goes to the king one evening, he's visibly upset and the king notices it and he asks him what's wrong. And so Nehemiah tells him that uh, he has heard 
of the plight of his people in Jerusalem, and he requests the opportunity to go to Jerusalem for himself to see what is happening, and then the king allows him to report back. So he's given permission. He travels to Jerusalem under the king's own authority, and his plan is to assess the situation, to look at the condition of the walls, to look at the condition of the city, and then to report back. And he goes, and it's worse than he could have imagined, and so Nehemiah requests permission of the king, and he receives it to begin rebuilding the walls around the city of Jerusalem. So we know why Nehemiah did the walls. You know, you, you want to restore the city. You want to restore safety. And he knew that, that the city could not be rebuilt and the lives of the people could not be changed if they did not feel safe. And so they begin slowly, and as the walls are improved, he begins to experience opposition. You know, opposition from a couple of different areas. The first is, is if you'll remember with me, part of, of whenever the Babylonians or Assyrians before the Babylonians conquered regions, they would move in other people from outside that area into that area to make a blend of people so that they could make it harder for them to rise up. You also have to remember, in the Babylonians laid siege to Jerusalem. There were many that were left in the city, but the ones that were left in the city were not, um, you know, the, the higher officials, the, the leaders, the business people, or anything like that. And so as the walls begin to be rebuilt, people begin to oppose this, especially those that, that liked having Jerusalem insecure. There were also those that opposed it who felt like they should be made the ones in charge of this project. And in time, Nehemiah is made governor of Jerusalem by the king. And so as part of this, this job, they found an instruction scroll in the ruins of the temple. And so Nehemiah had a man named Ezra read the scroll to the people. And so they gathered, and the scripture tells us, outside the water gate, as you can see right here, of the walls that are being rebuilt, a wooden platform was built, and Ezra stood up there with a bunch of people whose names I can't pronounce. Um, you know, I always tell people when they read scripture, just say it like you know what it means and just keep going. But I'm sorry, I did not do that today. Um, and, and so the people are standing there and they're listening. And what Nehemiah is having read, what Ezra is reading, are the words that reminded the people of Israel of one, the faithfulness of God, and of two, it detailed how they were to be in relationship with him. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to rebuilding the walls of the city, was it important for Nehemiah to have the scroll read? Not really, was it? You know, reading the, the scroll wasn't going to make the mortar between the bricks any harder. It wasn't going to make the gates any more secure. But what the reading of the scroll did, and Nehemiah knew, is that the people of Israel needed to hear the words again of how they were to live in relationship with God and in relationship with each other. He knew for them to reside in Jerusalem again and for Jerusalem to become the place where their focused worship of God was to happen. They had to remember their story. They had to remember their shared history together. And they had to remember to... to they had to remember how God had, had acted. You know, go read Hebrews chapter 11. You know, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, the, the author of that book spends, I don't know, it's a chapter and a half where uh, he lists 
All of these people who acted and lived in faith, beginning with Abraham and Moses and Isaac and Joseph and Jacob and Boaz and Rahab the prostitute and all of these in between. Because in Hebrews, what the the writer there is saying is, is for Christians to live and for us to live in relationship with God and in faithful response to God, we have to remember and see the many ways that God has chosen to act and the many ways that people of faith have chosen to act and respond to God throughout uh, God's relationship with them and then now through, through Jesus Christ. See, but Israel had to remember the same thing. Obviously, Hebrews is going to list way more then these people are going to hear or know of because some of those events happened after their event. But they had to remember that God acted in selecting a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah. They had to remember how God took a man named Joseph who was sold into slavery and how God eventually used him to rescue all of his people, all of his family, all of Israel. They had to remember how God heard the cry of the Hebrews in Egypt and led them by Moses out of there through the wilderness. And then after 40 years, they were able to enter the promised land. They had to remember how God uh, designed how they were to settle in that promised land. How they were brought together as 12 uh, loose tribes by a king named Saul. How Saul was succeeded by David. How David's son Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem. And then they had to remember how they ended up where they were then. Which was after Solomon's death. Uh, His son Rehoboam was going to make things worse. And so the northern kingdom lifted up an official in his court named Jeroboam to serve as their king. And ten tribes of Israel split and became Israel. And Judea, uh, the tribe of Judah, became the, the, the nation of Judah. They had to remember in 722 that the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom and then in 587 the the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem. See, that's a long list, but what it is is it's reminding us that they had to remember and it reminds us that as well. See, for them, they had to remember how they reconnected with God and how they were connected with God and, and the ways that he had provided for them and was faithful to them and, and the way that they had experienced his presence for generations. Because Nehemiah knew for, for Israel to really return to Jerusalem, for them to really re- rebuild, they had to remember why they were there and how God had brought them there and that was their story. See, we have to know our story. I mean, in Moana, I love it because she says, we've forgotten who we are. And it's easy for us to do that when we become focused on other things, when we become focused on, on things that are inconsequential or things that just aren't as significant or important. We have to know our story as a people of faith and as individuals and, and as a community of faith, don't we? You know, it's like your family. Now, I'm not listing any of my family's stories because I don't even know if most of them are true, but, um, you know, it, all our families have a story. And some of us, much more, you know, it, it's much more ingrained into who we are and how we've passed it on to, to succeeding generations or how your grandparents or others passed it on to you. Maybe your story is, is how a pa- parent or grandparent or great-grandparent made the decision to leave wherever they were living to come to the United States. 
For some, it's they used to live on the East Coast and made the, the decision to come West. For others, it's other things. Of how someone met someone else. Of how um, God worked in a way and, and things changed. I don't know what it is. You have your stories. Just as we have ours. But friends, I think the most important thing we have to remember is that the story that brings us together is the story of Jesus. And see, there's all of these conflicting stories that you and I hear, aren't there? Whether you watch the news, whether you read the paper, whether you listen to the radio, whether you, t I mean, there are so many stories that are telling us that, that those are our story. But really, as Christians, where we're called to be is we're called to be people who live first by the story of Jesus and not according to all the other stories that we have. And it's a story of belief, isn't it? If you look in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you know, I was reading this earlier this week and it kind of jumped out at me because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul sells out his story and I'm not going to read it all and you certainly... I mean, can read it on your own because it's pretty long. But, but basically what Paul does is, is he goes and outlines the story of Jesus, the one that brings us together. You know, where he says, I want to call your attention to the good news. I want to tell you how you're saved. And then he goes on about Jesus and about the crucifixion and then the resurrection and then how Jesus appeared and then how others saw and believed and then how the church grew. And then he says the most important part of our story is that we are who we are because of God's grace. And that God's grace has not been nothing. And that even Paul himself, as he says, I worked harder than all the others to, to end this message. That God's grace has even been given to me. See friends, the story of faith is the story of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus who died for you, who was sinless in the way that he lived, and who was resurrected. Who was resurrected as one who walked on this earth, who touched his friends, who ate with the disciples, and then who ascended into heaven. The story that we have is the one that brings us together, because it's the one that's changed our lives. See, we have to know who we are. As followers of Jesus Christ and as a community of faith and as individuals. And of all the stories that you and I can tell, the most important one is this one. It's the story of Christ who loved, who lived, who died, and who resurrected. And in doing so has invited each of us to be a part of his story, not for our glory, but for his Thanks be to God. Amen.